Jackson Rogers, 10 years old. He raised enough money to put up a house for the homeless. The young entrepreneur said he took on the fundraising project for Habitat for Humanity in February when he accepted $100 and a challenge from his pastor at First Presbyterian Church. My pastor gave me $100 and, and told me to do something good to, to help someone else, said Jackson, one of several congregants who accepted their pastor's challenge. They were told to use the money for good and then report on what they did with it. At first, Jackson's father was hesitant about letting his son take up such a daunting task, but Jackson was determined. I was discouraging him from volunteering because I didn't know what the pastor intended, but he pulled away from me and ran down there, the father said. Jackson knew he wanted to help a homeless family, but he wasn't sure how to do that, so he asked his dad. What they came up with was a letter-writing campaign asking for donations to raise $50,000 to build a house through Habitat for Humanity. Jackson then wrote a letter in his own handwriting on notebook paper. I used $100 to buy stamps and paper, he said, then sent out letters to friends and family. One woman was so touched by his letter that she passed it on to several of her friends and colleagues, and soon people from Tennessee and Virginia and Idaho were sending in checks. The 170 people who responded contributed a total of $43,000. When the congregation at First Presbyterian learned that the little miracle worker was $7,000 short of his goal, the people chipped in the rest. A little person can do something really good. You don't have to wait to be an adult, said Jackson's mother. There's another story, Jeff Leland. He had just accepted a teaching position at Kamekin Junior High School in Seattle, Washington. The family had endured months of dads driving to and from work before the family could relocate from their previous home. As winter struggled towards spring in 1992, Jeff and his wife Christy heard the devastating news. Your baby boy has cancer. Michael needs a bone marrow transplant. The good news was that Michael's six-year-old sister Amy was a perfect match for the transplant, but Jeff's insurance company wouldn't pay for it. A tiny clause in the contract stated that Jeff had to be on the job for at least a year before insurance would cover a transplant. He had only been teaching on the new job for about six months. By March... Michael's need for a transplant became urgent. If he couldn't receive the new marrow soon, he would die. The Lelands needed to raise $200,000 by May. Fellow teacher Joe Kennedy told his class about Leland's situation. Damien, a 7th grade boy who walked with a limp and struggled in special education classes, heard about Mr. Leland's son, Michael, and he made a visit to the Leland home. Mr. Leland, if your baby's in trouble, I want to help, he said. The kids that others teased then took out and stuffed 12 $5 bills into the hands of a teacher who had made a difference in his life. It was the boy's entire life savings. Word got out about Damon's gift, and some other kids organized a walkathon. 
And then others called a local newspaper with the story, and even others then held a car wash. The Kamekin kids' wave of compassion poured out across Seattle. And on Friday, May 22nd, a man walked into the bank with a check for $10,000. One week after Damien's gift, Michael's fund grew to $16,000. By late May, area TV stations picked up the story, and by May 29th, Michael's fund grew to $62,000. The Lelands were boosted with hope when the hospital moved Michael's transplant back by two weeks. Then by June 5th, the fund had grown to $143,000, and by June 8th, $160,000. The next day, June 9th, it had grown to $185,000. And only four weeks after Damon's gift of $60, the Michael Leland Fund contained more than $220,000. Michael got the marrow transplant, and he lived. Another great story is that Damon the student who started this all, accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior partially due to his interaction with Michael's family and the Lelands. Soon after that, little Damon passed away from complications following an infection that grew in one of his legs. Damon, the unlikely hero, gave his all to save the life of another. And in the process, he really received life Everlasting. Ephesians 2.10 says this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want us to think about this today. We're continuing our Sermon on the Mount series that we've been in. We took a couple week break, but we're back in it today. And we're going to jump into chapter 6. But I want to put something in front of you today before we read that passage. I want to just put a thought in your head. I want you to think about this a little bit because Ephesians, because of what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, that we are created to do good works. Think about this. There are, the way I thought about this is there are two primary motivations that lead us into doing good works. There are two primary, now there are lots of motivations, but there are two things. I think you can put pretty much any motivation we have to doing good works into one of these two categories. One is this, a need to cover something up. Think about it. A need to cover something up. We, we need to cover something up and our good works are a distraction for whatever it is we're trying to cover. Perhaps we have a character flaw that we don't want others to see. Perhaps we have a secret to hide. Maybe we've made some kind of mistake. Maybe we're simply craving and seeking the praise of men and need to hide our great insecurity. They are meant for others to see these good works when they're motivated by covering something else up. They are meant for others to see. They are designed to bring us attention and glory and praise. They are an effort for us to get rewarded and recognized. Ultimately, the good works are all about me. When my motivation to do good works is to cover something up, ultimately my motivation, it's all about me. The reason I'm doing it is to draw attention. The reason I am is to to draw some kind of praise, to cover something, to hide something. The other motivation that we want to talk about this is to do good works is a genuine reflection of your heart. I believe there are a lot of people who do a lot of good as a genuine reflection of the heart. When we do good works, As a genuine reflection of the heart, we don't need anyone else to notice. 
We're not concerned about receiving the praise and glory of men. We do it to make things better for somebody else. We get great joy and pleasure from seeing someone else benefit. We know God is pleased, and that's enough. Ultimately, the good works that we do are all about God and others when our motivation is a genuine reflection of our heart to do good works. And today, we're going to jump into this a little bit. And I told you before, we're going to jump into chapter 6. We're going to continue. And this chapter 6 of Matthew is where we're going in the Sermon on the Mount. We finished chapter 5 a few weeks ago. And here we are. We're going to start in chapter 6. The Sermon on the Mount, you may know, makes up Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters. And if you just read straight through it, it'd probably take about 20 minutes or so. But we're right here in the middle. Now, we see a little bit of a shift in the way Jesus teaches here as he introduces this chapter. Overall, the point's still the same. Overall, he gives this, he gives this command, this, this, this whole concept of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is trying to explain the heart of the law. You see, the Jews up to this point, living as children of God, had the law in their hands. And they had gotten to a place where they were all about following the rules But Jesus came to say it's more than just following rules. It's more than that. It's about having a heart that understands what the rules are there for. It's about understanding why the rules are there. And then then all of a sudden, our relationship with God becomes a relationship. It it moves beyond just being a religious function. I get up and go to church because I'm supposed to. No, I get up and go to church because I want to worship my king. I want to be with my church family. I follow the rules because I don't want to get in trouble. No, I follow the rules because I want to honor and glorify God. And that's what pleases him. And that's, that's the difference. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. But when we start looking at chapter 6, we see in, very, in verse 1 at the very beginning, he gives a little bit of a warning. Not a threatening warning like, you better do this, look out. Not that kind of warning. It's, it's not a heavy-handed warning. But he does give us a warning. And he says, be careful. And let's take a look at that. Let's start talking about what this has to say as we look at Matthew 6. We're just going to look at these first few verses today in Matthew 6. And the reason is, and actually the, the, the Sermon on the Mount part of my message today is going to be fairly short because what Jesus has to say is kind of simple and to the point. But I think there's something bigger when we dig down that we've got to find and we've got to spend a little time on that today. Let's start off looking at verse 1. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them if you do you will have no reward from your father in heaven now that's a little bit of confusing verse considering what matthew five sixteen just said a little bit earlier have you ever thought about this because what did he say in five sixteen? he said um let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven remember that and now we, see, now we see this verse that says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others and be seen by them. Because if you do, then you'll... It seems kind of like a contradiction, doesn't it? How, do we, how can we, on one hand, let our light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and pray your, praise your Father in heaven, and at the same time, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them? We're going to talk about that because it does make total sense. Jesus did not contradict himself, and and we can do both of those things at the same time. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And I think it's an important thing, but I think at the beginning we need to understand what this verse has to say as we begin thinking about it. While it might seem like a contradiction, it's not. So let's read on. It says, so when you give to the needy, Jesus goes on in in verse 2, do not announce it with trumpets, 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I want to I draw your attention to a couple of things. First of all, the first two words, so when. So, so when you give to the needy. Really, the only reason I draw this out, and I think it's important to understand, is, and, and this is true, we've talked about this already for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is just giving examples here. He's not laying out, he's not going to try to say, okay, this is how you do it in every single situation. He's saying, here's an example. I'm trying to show you the heart of the law, and I'm giving you an example. He says, so when you give to the needy. He could have just as easily said, so when you bring your tithe to the church. So when you bring offerings to the church. So when he chose to say here, you give to the needy, a mercy offering. Okay, And so there are all kinds of different ways Jesus could have gone with that, all kinds of different offerings, all kinds of different examples. We're going to see in the rest of chapter 6, he gives us several examples that we're going to build on. We're going to talk, Next week, we're going to talk about prayer and fasting. The week after that, we're going to talk about anxiety, and we're going to talk about some different areas that Jesus drew out as examples. How do we be careful to not practice our righteousness out in the open in such a way that says, look at me, this is all about me, this is all about my glory. And instead, do it in such a way that says, this is all about God. This is all about his glory. And that's what the, really the whole point of this entire chapter 6 is going to be. Jesus trying to help us understand this is the point. You see, so when illustrates that for us. So when you happen to be giving to the needy. Jesus goes on here in the next verse to use a little bit of hyperbole. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing so, so that your giving may be in secret. Okay, now obviously Jesus is trying to make a point here. To, you know, what is he talking about? When give in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. He's just simply trying to make the point. Your giving isn't about anybody else knowing. Well, somebody else knows, fine, sometimes you can't help that. But that's not what it's about. We don't do for our own glory. We don't do just to cover up something else that we may be trying to hide. We don't give just to make ourselves look good. We give because it's a genuine reflection of the heart. That's the kind of giving that Jesus wants to honor here. That's the kind of giving that he wants to draw here, whether it's giving to the church or giving directly to someone in need. What other kind of giving is God knows your heart. He knows that if you have compassion and your love in your heart, or are you doing it just to get rid of them? He knows if you're, if you're giving to the needy because there's something inside of you that says, I really want to make a difference in somebody's life. Or are you doing it because, well, you're kind of put on the spot and you know somebody's looking. And there's a difference. And Jesus is saying, I really care about what's in your heart. It really does matter. And while this is many, just one of many examples, we need to recognize the truth about Jesus' message, both here in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the rest of the Gospels. And it's this. Think about this statement. Giving is at the center of the Gospel, and it cannot be ignored. Okay, now I'm going to step aside a little bit here and say this. This passage, these first four verses of the sermon of chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount here, they, they're not specifically about giving. They're an example about how we should 
be, be living in such a way that we are, our acts of righteousness, our good works are a reflection of our heart, not an effort to draw attention to ourselves and to cover other things up. But we can't ignore the fact that his very first example he gives in this chapter is about giving to the needy. We can't ignore the fact that giving is at the center of the gospel. After all, what is Jesus for us? A gift? The ultimate gift? We can't ignore what it is. And so I just want to talk for a second about the heart of giving and and make two simple points with you. First of all, it's this. The hypocrite gives for his own glory. And we already talked a little bit about this. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the story of Ananias and Sapphira back in in Acts chapter 5? Those of you who are here will remember us talking about Ananias and Sapphira. I'm not going to tell the whole story in detail. It was a situation where the church was coming and people, the church was growing and it was fairly new and people were um, giving everything they had to, to support each other and to love on each other as they were getting this new community started called the church. And this was after Jesus had been crucified, resurrected, and gone back up into heaven. And Peter preached that message on, on the day of Pentecost. And now the church people are selling property and, 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 and bringing money together. And, and they're putting it together. And they're building a real community together. Well, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, decided that they were going to sell a piece of property that they owned. And they were going to, instead of bringing all the money and putting it before the apostles, they were just going to bring a portion of it and hold it back. But they were going to tell everybody they were giving it all. And we know what happens when, when they did that. There was never a command that they have to give it all. What happened to them, the reason when Ananias first and then Sapphira behind him, not knowing what he had already done, comes forward and Peter says, is this the full amount for your property? Oh, yes, it is. It's the full amount. Peter says, how in the world have you gotten to a place in your life where you're willing to not only lie in front of these people, but you're willing to lie to the Holy Spirit of God? And at that moment, Ananias drops dead. Sapphira, a little bit later, comes in. Like I said, didn't know what had happened to her husband. She drops dead, the exact same thing. Peter asked her the same question. She had the same answer. Were they required to give every dime they had? No. But they lied about it. You see, they're giving was not a gift from the heart. Their giving was they wanted to make themselves look good. They were giving to cover something up. And when I look at that example, not only is it kind of scary, it really shows me how deadly serious God is about the heart behind our giving. How intensely jealous he is of having our heart not our money. And I think we need to understand that point as we talk about it. When you give in this way, as the hypocrites do, for your own glory, you've already received your reward in full. You may receive the praise of others. The appearance of righteousness is there for everyone to see, even though it doesn't really exist The successful cover-up of the heart is all that really takes place. Look, Jesus, you want to talk about how serious Jesus was about this? Look at Matthew 23, when he is kind of giving the Pharisees a dressing down. And he says this to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! 
You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus takes it seriously to the point of saying some pretty harsh words here. And it's clear that he does not want us to miss this point. He is not interested in us looking good on the outside for each other. He insists that the inside, our hearts, match what is on the outside. And so we're not just talking about giving, and you're going to see that next week when we talk about prayer, when we talk about fasting, when we talk about trusting in God and not worrying, and all these different things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. We're going to see the same theme play out. He's not interested in you looking good and putting on a show. He's interested in what's in your heart. And look, you can try your best and you can succeed at convincing everybody around you just how righteous and spiritual you are. But what's in here? What does he see when he looks through all of that? Now, granted, and I'm not, don't try to take this too far, none of us is perfect. We all have sin. We all have a sin problem. And that's inside all of us. And he knows that. That's what grace is all about. And that's why it's so amazing. And that's why it's so awesome. But are we going to spend our life are we going to spend our time trying to convince everyone just how righteous we are when we know on the inside we're not? Or are we ready to stand up and just be real? Are we willing to just stand up and say, you know what, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. I make a lot of stupid mistakes. I fall down all the time. And I'm telling you that as a personal confession. And it's absolute truth. I don't care how many sermons I preach in a lifetime. I'm still going to be a sinner in need of God's grace. But I hope I can be the kind of person that says, this is me. I don't care about putting out a front for you all to think I'm some super spiritual hero that I'm not. I want to be real. And man, when we start doing that for each other and with each other, when we can sit down in our life groups or go into immersion and just say, yeah, you know, I struggle with that. I messed up on it last week. Whatever it is. Including this concept of giving. Because I'll tell you this. Some of us have a gift of giving. Some of us love to give. Some of us, that's a genuine reflection of our heart. And then some of us really struggle with it. And that's, that's a part of life. That's, we all struggle with different things. And it's something that I know God wants you to get to a place in your life where you trust him enough to be willing to part with sacrificially with your giving, kind of like what Hal was talking about in his meditation. But also know this, he doesn't need you putting up a false front and trying to pretend to be something you're not. That's not the kind of disciple Jesus is looking for. You see, this is true about the heart of giving that Jesus wants us to get. The Christ follower gives for God's glory and God's glory alone. I love the story in Mark 12, and you've probably heard it before, verses 41 to 44, where Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put, and he watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, 
But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Listen, again, it wasn't that Jesus was saying the only way you can give a valid offering is to to put in your entire life savings, to empty your bank account every week. That's not the point. What he's saying is there are some who give because it's easy to give and it's comfortable and it never really costs them anything, but then there are some who give and they give even though it hurts because their heart says, I really want to make a difference. I really want to impact somebody's life. I really want to bring glory to God. And I think it's an important question to ask. What kind of giver are you? Not in terms of dollar amounts. Not in terms of how much money you write to the church or given offerings to other charitable donations or stop and give money to those in need on the side of the road. But more importantly, are you the kind of giver that says, I really want to make a difference in people's life? Are you that kind of giver? Are you the kind of giver that says, I know this might hurt, this is a sacrifice, but I know God's going to bless it. Is that a genuine reflection of who you are and your heart? I want to read you a story that Matthew 25 holds, verses 31 to 46. I'm going to read the story. Some of you have heard it. We've used it in here before, but it's the part it's describing when we will all, all believers, all non-believers, everybody in the world will be gathered before the throne of God on judgment. And I think it has some important things to say about the heart of giving. And I want us to kind of wrap up what we're doing this morning with this story. Listen to what it says. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? When did we go visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he's going to say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, 
and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he'll reply, truly I tell you, you you did not do for one of the least of these. You did not do it for me. Then they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. On Friday nights, volunteers from Bridgetown Ministries help the homeless people gathered under the Burnside Bridge in Portland, Oregon. In addition to providing hot meals, shaves, and haircuts, some of the volunteers wash the homeless people's feet. Tom Krattenmaker, a writer for USA Today, was stunned when he saw that, when he saw that calling it one of the most audacious acts of compassion and humility I have ever witnessed. This group of society's outcasts had their bare feet immersed and warm water, scrubbed, dried, powdered, and placed into clean socks. One man reported with a smile, I can't find the words to describe how good that feels. Krattenmaker later wrote, Washing someone's feet is an act best performed while kneeling. Given the washer's position and the unpleasant appearance and odor of a homeless person's feet, It's hard to imagine an act more humbling. The leader of Bridgetown Ministries prepares volunteers for this ministry by saying, when you go out there tonight, I want you to look for Jesus. You might see him in the eyes of a drunk person. You might see him in the heart of a homeless person. Guys, we're out there just to love on people. I guess what I'm really wondering is when Jesus talks about giving, giving in such a way that it's not about my right hand or my left hand knowing. Yes, giving in such a way that we shine his light before men so that they can see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven, but not glorify you, not glorify me. That's not the why. Not to cover up my flaws, not to make myself look better, but to make God look awesome. That's how 6.1 and 5.16 can match and work together. What I'm wondering is if we understand this statement as a church and as individuals, if we do not give from the heart, we will not be rewarded. Now, in this passage, Jesus doesn't define the reward, but I think we can see throughout the rest of the New Testament, and anytime Jesus talks about reward, the only reward that really matters is an eternity with him in paradise. An eternity with him in heaven forevermore. That's the only thing that matters. And I guess when I start looking at it that way, I can write the check a little bit bigger even though it hurts. 
Because what's it going to matter at the end when I'm with him in heaven, right? I guess I can give a little extra time to serve. Even though I might rather be home watching the football game. Because what's that going to matter when I'm with him in heaven, you know? Maybe I can just pour out a little extra energy. Maybe to the point that I'm exhausted and, and it just, maybe it isn't fun. But man, it makes a difference in somebody else's life. And that really is all that matters because I'm going to have all the energy I need in eternity and all the time. Do you see what having an eternal perspective on things does? How it changes the heart? When we stop looking at the bank account numbers and the amount of time and the amount of energy and we start thinking about how we can make a difference because there's only one thing that really matters at the end of the day it's making sure we share the gospel of God's love with everybody we can so that we can stand together with them in the presence of our God in heaven one day. How awesome is that? That's the reward. I don't care about getting rewarded now. I don't need anybody else's praise when all I'm focused on is an eternal praise from God Almighty. Doesn't that make sense? Remember that giving and serving others is the heart of the gospel. It's the one thing that we see Jesus doing over and over and over again giving our resources and our money, giving our time and energy, sharing our facilities, showing our compassion, giving our love. Will some be ungrateful? Absolutely. Will we open ourselves up to being taken advantage of? Yeah, we will. Will it be inconvenient? <laughs> Quite often. Will we get dirty? How can we not? Will it be hard and exhausting? You can count on it. Will things get broken and messed up? Yeah, a lot. There will be complaining. There will be struggles. There will be people who, who do and say things we don't approve of or understand. There will be times when we aren't sure if we're making a difference at all. But there will be a reward we will get to be a part of building a kingdom. We will win the praise of the king, and he will be glorified by what we do. Is it worth it? At the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, it's the only thing that's worth it. I'm wondering as a church, as an individual for you and for me, as a collection of believers who come together to worship together, I wonder where we go next when we start thinking about what it means not just to give because we're supposed to. Not to give to cover up maybe the other flaws. But to give because we really want to have an impact on someone's life. Because we really love people. We really love this community. And we really want to make a difference in people's lives. And we really want to build the kingdom of God. What does that next step look like for us as a church? What does that next step look like for you in your own life? I'm going to leave it there.
Let's think on that this week. Let's pray on it. Today we're going to offer an invitation. Simply a chance for you to respond to what you've heard. Maybe you just need to pray on these things. Maybe you need to come forward and you'd like to pray with one of our prayer partners who will meet you up here and pray with you. Maybe maybe you're ready to give your life to Christ and say, I've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life and today is the day. I'm ready to answer that call. Come up and talk with us. I, wanna, I would love to start that conversation with you. Maybe you've never been baptized in obedience to Christ and, and that's a step you need to take. Let's talk about that. Maybe you want to join this church and, and say, I want to be a part of this body of believers as, as they try to take the next step in making a difference for the kingdom. Come up, let's talk about it. I'd love to have a conversation with you this morning. But this time, this song, as we sing about the amazing grace of Jesus, it's simply a chance for you to respond to what you've heard, either right where you are or come forward and talk with us. But don't let this moment pass you by without allowing God's word to have an impact on you. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our opportunity to come together as a church family. I thank you for everybody in this room today that's come together to say, we want to honor our king. And God, regardless of what motivations drew us here today, whether it was out of obligation or a, or a desire to, to really come and honor and worship you, or some mix of it, God, that we now are standing before your throne saying, God, I want to be genuine. I want to be real. I want to give in such a way that brings you and only you the glory you deserve. I want to give of my resources, of my time and energy, of everything I've got. I want to make a difference for your kingdom. God, I pray that you'll break our hearts for having a heart that reflects your love. In Jesus' name.